Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It is an uneasy feeling when you get up here and you realize you have left your sermon in the office. <laughs> and either mental telepathy or the gift of iMessage, Tim saved me from having to do this thing um, from memory. So, when have you been desperate? Like me, just a moment again, desperate that my sermon would show up. When in your life have you been desperate? Virginia Woolf describes the poverty of language that is associated with illness. English, she says, which can express the thoughts of of Hamlet and the tragedy of Lear, have no words for the shiver or for the headache. Only people who have been in the trenches use words that come close. I can say I have a headache, but only those who have experienced the pain of a headache really understand what that language means. So when did you feel desperate? When were you searching for an answer that was beyond yourself? When is it that you felt that there was no way out? It's often in movies that the moment in which the characters have a moment of desperation. In which the emperor has uh, put in a plan to surprise the rebel alliance by letting them think that the Death Star is not yet operational. And it's Admiral Akbar's cry, it's a trap! that causes them to move into action and buy enough time for the shields to go down. Or we might think about Kevin McAllister's mom in Home Alone as she's sitting at the airport for another day, desperate to go home, talking to the other mother and say, please, I'm talking to you as one mother to another. I just want to get home. Well, in today's gospel reading, Jesus encounters a woman who is desperate, who is pleading, who is crying out for help. Her child is possessed by a demon, and she does not have anyone else to turn to. Much can be made uh, and said about Jesus referring to her as a dog, a common way Jews would have at the time would have referred to Gentiles. But that is the least shocking part of the story. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus warned the fishing villages that he did most of his ministry that judgment was coming and it would be better to be in the cities of Sidon and Tyre. Sidon and Tyre were shorthand for an evil place. In the gospels and the scriptures, these are towns and villages that are opposed to God. And he just doesn't encounter any woman who is living in Tyre and Sidon. He encounters there a Canaanite woman. Mark's gospel calls her the Seraphonician woman, recognizing where it is that she lives. But Matthew makes it clear that this woman 
was also a Canaanite. Stanley Hauerbloss says the fact that there are any Canaanites alive might be the biggest miracle in this story. If you've ever read the Old Testament conquest of Canaan, it contains some of the most brutal acts of violence and is the very reason that many people sometimes mistakenly refer to the God of the Old Testament. The violence that is committed by the Israelites, led by Joshua, Moses' successor, is brutal. And here is a Canaanite, the subject of violence and of scorn in the Old Testament, calling out for Israel's God to save her. Jesus and his disciples are walking along when this woman calls out for him. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. There are not many places in scripture where people get Jesus so clearly. Even John the Baptist has to send disciples to say, are you the one or is there another one to come? But this woman knew who he was. This woman did not need to ask. It is often those who are on the outside in scripture that seem to get it better than those who are the inside. Jesus says nothing, continues walking, doesn't even seem to acknowledge her. I imagine this woman had heard of Jesus and how he was a miracle worker. In another Gentile town, Gesenard is where Jesus drove demons from the man they called Legionnaire and exorcised him all of the demons. Maybe she had heard of that miracle. She's desperate. Her child needs to be healed from this affliction. And each time she gets louder and more emphatic, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Finally, Jesus responds, well, I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. The Gospels are clear. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. The clear call to include the Gentiles does not happen until after the resurrection and the descent of the Holy Spirit. After his enthronement as the king of the world on the cross. It is only then that he tells his disciples clearly to go to those who are on the outside. Do you remember the wedding at Cana when Jesus' mom comes up to him and says, Jesus, we're out of wine. You've got to do something. And Jesus says, Mom, it's not my time to perform a miracle. And Jesus' mother is emphatic and says, No, Jesus, you're going to do it. And Jesus performs a miracle despite it not being the time. Maybe that's similarly what's happening here. That Jesus performs a miracle that was always intended to happen, but just does it in a different order. This woman is undeterred by his seemingly not listening to her pleas. She then kneels before him, grasping his hand. The Greek word here describes like a dog licking its master's hand. She is begging him, Lord, help me. Now, Philip Yancey says that we have to read this exchange in sort of a tongue-in-cheek tone. He says... Jesus says, why would I take the children's food and give it to a puppy? Now, he could have called her a scavenger dog, which is what most Jews would have called Gentiles. Rather, he calls her a puppy. 
Is that an intentional play on words? Does it make me feel better that Jesus still called a woman a dog? Um, no, I'm still uncomfortable with it, but there's more depth to it than the base English level. The woman replies, when your kids are finished eating, what do you do with the food? Do you throw it out or do you set it on the ground and let the dogs finish it? Right? It's not so unusual for us because you can now go to Starbucks and you can get um, a puppy chino for them to have their own coffee to enjoy with you. Jesus, upon hearing this uh, remarkable retort, says, great is your faith. The Canaanite woman, the target of scorn and anger and violence in the Old Testament, who lives inside an entire, has an insight into faith than even the disciples have. Remember last week as Peter is sinking, he says, if you are the Lord, Jesus has compassion on Peter because of his doubts and his lack of faith. But this woman appears to have no doubt and no lack of faith. She speaks decisively, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. This woman, Jesus declares, great is your faith. In the Gospels, it is often those who are on the outside who seem to get Jesus the best. There seems to be a danger in Scripture that the closer uh, you get to power and the closer you get to piety the easier it is for us to cloud our understanding of the gospel. It is easy for us to begin to construct walls when Jesus is really there to tear down the dividing walls that humans have built up. On Netflix, there's a show called Jesus Revolution. It was a movie in the, in the theaters. Now it's available on Netflix. And it's about a movement of the Holy Spirit within a community in Southern California. All of these hippies were protesting the war and, and, and they were using drugs trying to have a transcendent experience. And there was a community that recognized in them that there was something deeper there than just simply their long hair and their drug use. That there was something there that sought a world of justice and of peace and of harmony. That there was something there that, that, that they thought that the transcendent could be accomplished um, through the abuse of drugs rather than a relationship with God. And it's about this church, and it's a true story, who opened its doors and was transformed by these very hippies. It's a story about when we try to keep the dogs out of the church, God finds a way to let them in. Human beings are really good at being gatekeepers, but Jesus is the one who watches over the door for the sheep. He didn't give us that task. Andrew McGowan, who's the dean of Yale Seminary, says her presence in this story persuades even Matthew to allow a glimpse before the time that is expected, a gospel that can be shared by Jew and Gentile alike, in which all are children of God and all eat the bread from God's table. Amen.